Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Chris McShane. Chris, prior to his return to Major League Action, David Wright showed up at the Mets Hotel in full baseball uniform with a plate of cookies. So, if you, after a long trip, got into your domicile or hotel room or whatever late at night, and you could have one Met surprise you with some tasty vittles, what Met would you pick and what would you want him to bring? So I'm thinking a little outside the food box here. Sure, it doesn't have to be food. But the uh, the answer probably won't surprise anyone who uh, is familiar with my jersey collection. But uh, I'm going to say Kadir showing up with a bag of magic tricks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go with that. It is it is the one area of uh, is one area where he is not literally useless. Uh, yes. <laughs> we know on the baseball field he definitely is. Uh, so somebody says. Yeah, nobody's going to get that joke, and that's fine. No, uh, I, I thought you might go with uh, with David Wright showing up with some brewskis, since you very famously on the podcast told the story of you missing out on having beers with David Wright. Yeah, that that would be a good one. I thought about uh, bringing up Carlos Gomez because you know why not, and and Skittles. Um, ah, yes. As the former Met and the potentially former future former Met or whatever. Um, what is it? There was that famous quote he gave. Or what was he eating? Because it was like rich people food or something. Well, yeah, that was a great quote that he had looked up what rich people eat, and I forget what it was, but but he found something. I'm gonna, that, I'm gonna, know, I'm or this what up. rich people talk about. Yeah, but it had something to do with food, and as always, scintillating radio. Yes, yeah, Google. <laughs> I'm googling Carlos Gomez googling rich people conversations. <laughs> So we're uh, we're down the rabbit hole here, definitely. Unsurprisingly, uh, the second the second link is to a Ted Berg article, so let's check on that. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, uh, he was eating kiwis because it had three times as much potassium as bananas. Ryan Braun wanted to know how he had heard that. He told me, "Now that I'm wealthy, I'm googling rich people conversations, so he knows what to talk to wealthy people about." And came across that data. Still said they didn't trade for Carlos Gomez. Not that I can really complain about it, but I can be sad about it. Uh, my answer, I, I, I'm going to sort of liberally interpret the question in terms of current Mets. Uh, and I'm going with Mr. Met. So, you know, sometimes you're out late. Usually when I'm coming home late at night, I've had a little bit too much to drink. I probably haven't eaten dinner. This may have just happened last week, which is why I was thinking about it. <laughs> So I need to eat something before I go to bed. So I just want, and what I've been sort of using as my late night snack food is uh, the Trader Joe's spinach and artichoke dip. Okay. But it's kind of a, a kind of a pain to prepare. You have to like, cut it out of this tight plastic thing, and then you have to microwave it, stir it, and microwave it again. So I just want Mr. Met to show up in my apartment, waiting with a big crock of Trader Joe's spinach artichoke dip, maybe some tortilla chips, and we just hang out, watch Mind of a Chef on Netflix. That's what I usually do. <laughs> when I get in at like whatever hour of the morning, maybe play some FIFA. That's another thing I do. Just hang out with Mister Met. I kind of like the, the the image in my head of it is pretty amusing too. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that is... It, it's pretty great. Alternatively, he's not a Met anymore. I could have Mike Pelfrey uh, show up with a big bowl of pasta. As long as he brings the ladle. <laughs> you got to bring the ladle, yes. We're going deep into, like, inside Amazing Avenue jokes for the show. <laughs> and really just wasting your time, which is a problem because we're on a tight schedule this week. I am moving into a new apartment, so I don't have internet set up there either. So we're not going to do any emails this week. I mean, we will, just not for this podcast. We'll do a special email podcast later in the week, probably this weekend. Um, now, this is all your fault, listeners, because you sent me five emails in the last 24 hours before we were going to record. Otherwise, you probably could have gotten everything done nicely. But there is still plenty to talk about. As you may have heard, the Mets offense is now really socking the ball. Knocking those home runs over the wall in both uh, Colorado and in Philly. I think as we record this on Wednesday night, they're already up 3 nothing. So we'll talk a little bit about what's going on there, because I'm very confused. <laughs> I'll talk about my main man, Wilmer Flores, who's been leading this renewed offensive assault. And see what's going on there. It, the answer will not surprise any of you that have listened to the show or follow me on Twitter. Um, I have a mea culpa this week, too. Uh, I may have said some things about Logan Verrett that I am going to walk back slightly on last week's show. We'll also touch on Noah Syndergaard and if he might be tiring as season's going on, how the Mets should manage him down the stretch. And finally, we'll check in with the Nationals, who, as we begin play tonight, are five and a half back, but still fairly confident. And just because we are skipping your emails does not mean we are skipping our IFK Gothenburg update. We'll get to that in due time as well. But we'll kick things off with the Mets' offensive explosion in a series that neither Chris or I watch much of. <laughs> so you at least saw the Friday night game. Yeah, I, so I saw almost the entirety of the Friday night game and several innings of Saturday night, so... I have been moving, so I have watched very little of it. I've seen all the highlights in the condensed games. And really, the highlights are the best part. So it's just dinger after dinger after dinger. Yeah, the uh, the one clip that WOR posted of Howie. Of all the home run calls, yeah. Back to back to back. By the time he gets to the sixth home run, he is having such a good time <laughs> with it. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah, he was just like trying not to he's, he was a little bit taking the piss out of it but he also trying not to crack up laughing at the same time because <laughs> it was kind of absurd yeah I watched probably actually that's not true I watched some of that game I watched some of that game I know I'm confusing it with the Monday night game it was just it's just a blur of offense right now where the heck was I on Saturday I was driving home from our Sheffield Wednesday meetup I got in at like and I didn't watch any of it. I watched. I listened to some of it on the radio. The Saturday game, but yeah, it's just a blur of offense at this point. And look, these teams are terrible. Like after seeing or after like listening to some of the Rocky series and just what happened the, over the last two weeks against the Rockies, home and away, you're like, yeah, maybe the Rockies are the worst team the Mets have played this year. I previously thought this a couple weeks ago about the Marlins. <laughs> but then they finally got to play the Phillies again for the first time since May. And it's like, nah, it's still the Phillies. They're still they're still the worst. But I know much has been made sort of about the their record against good teams. But 
they're really beating the crap out of the bad teams. And you can't pick what division you play in. Somebody's got to win the worst division in baseball, so it might as well be the Mets. You know, the media is the one that always like, oh, the second wild card. Now it's really important to win your division. Well, sometimes your division's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and to their credit, the Nationals have gotten to play in this division all year as well. Yeah, their schedule's not exactly hard coming down the stretch. No. But I, I, I don't know. I don't think that, that perhaps I'm getting into the complex here a little bit, but I don't think we hear too much about abolishing divisions and ease of schedule of the Nationals are five and a half games ahead, as everybody expected. No, and the idea is you wouldn't get to the playoffs. That's all you can do. Build the best team you can to win 160 over 162 games. Because in a short series, I don't really care what the Mets record was against any of the potential playoff teams they might meet. Don't really care. I will take my chances. Right. I don't think Giants fans care. No. What, what that was last year. So, we haven't done this in a while on the show. We'll give you the triple slash line update <laughs> for the team this year. Chris, they're up to 242, 306, 389. It's a 94 weighted runs created plus. Almost competent. Yeah, it is pretty good. I mean, over the last 30 days, as Mets, uh, Suspettis has come over. I favorited this because Steve Schreiber tweeted it out this morning. I'm like, Steve, stop scooping the stuff I'm going to talk about on the podcast. I, I'm actually I'm, I'm not quoting his tweet, uh, but I was just looking at last 30 days, and Suspedes has been outstanding since they traded for him. Yeah, and he's sixth in weighted runs created plus. Yes, he is over the last 30 days. Uh, yeah, I mean it's some of those. Obviously, David Wright's only been, played in two of those games coming into Wednesday night, but that's still a true thing. It is. He's behind, and for the guys that have played fairly regularly, he's behind Curtis Granderson and Wilmer Flores, though just barely. Uh, yes. Lucas Duda's slugging 741. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting comical. But just since the trade deadline, so for the month of August, they are hitting at 274, 336, 503 as a team. As a team, they are slugging 503. They've already set their record for home runs in August with yeah. a little under a week to go. I decided, I'm like, ah, I'm bored at work. I'm like, what's, what's, nobody's ever slashed that line for their career. I tried to find it on play index. The closest I could find, they're basically a team full of Ernie Bankses. Yeah, you, you'll take that. I will, fair much, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, the night, that sort of season long line, the 94 way to runs create a plus, with their pitching staff, you take it. But with last week's pitching, you probably want Ernie Banks. <laughs> yeah. The best part of all of this, though, is, is dingers. Just dinger after dinger after dinger. And dingers are fun. What was your favorite dinger of the past week, Chris? Ooh. This is a tough one, I know. There's a lot of good candidates here. So many to choose from. Um, I'd have to say probably the second Flores home run, just because it swung that game. Um, you know, from from a deficit to a lead. So, just in terms of being a, a real turning point of a game, that was probably it. But I don't know. Cespedes' third home run is up there as well. 
I'm going to go with Flores still, just because of the uh, the timing of it. But it's tough for me not to pick the David Wright one because, like, a legit oh shit moment. Like it was a bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's a soft tossing lefty, and David Wright could be 50 years old and like in a back brace constantly, and I think he'd still probably hit some like 88 to 90 lefty. That's true. But, I, I'm. You're right. That that's the that's the best answer. Yeah, but I think the one for me actually was Darno's one to dead center in Philly. Yeah, I mean that was on like anytime one of sort of the underrated home runs for me is anything that lands past whatever deck it's going into and lands on the concourse. <laughs> it's a small stadium, big stadium, a lot of rows, not a lot of rows. Anything that bounces on a concourse, like stuff that hits the Shea Bridge. Yeah. Like, those kind of home runs, for whatever reason, I always uh, have a soft spot for. Yeah. I, I know he hasn't stayed out there for an entire season. With he, could, the... he could hit 30 bombs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Like, as a it... catcher, like, playing, like, 120 games a year as a catcher, he could hit 30 home runs. Yeah, and he just doesn't look the part, but, I mean, the swing does, but, you know, you don't look at him and, and see this big, powerful-looking guy, but uh, but is there. The other one I liked from that game was, uh, so uh, I talked a little to the prospect hate man who was there, and he said the way it was just like a dead wind tunnel blowing out of the stadium, which if you watch the game, makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> the balls were carrying. But, like, I'm watching it. Like, Suspedes, of course, was the last one to hit it outside of Tejada, the only other regular who hadn't hit it through the first uh, half of the game or so. I'm just thinking, I'm like, at some point, Suspedes is going to hit a ball out of this stadium tonight. <laughs> he didn't quite do that, but he gave it a yeoman's effort. Yeah, he did. And that was a rocket. Like, that, that, that ball might have still been going up when it hit the uh, Geico sign. He's He is a fun one. And, like, you look at his career numbers, it's like, it's, it's weird, because he almost... He's been a very good player in the majors, but you watch him play now as a Met. And again, I've said before, I, I haven't watched him a ton in the AL the last couple of years because he's not playing particularly compelling teams that were in my MLB TV rotation. Like, how is he not doing this all the time? Like, it, I mean, it's a hot streak, obviously, but you watch him, it doesn't feel like a hot streak. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't have it's, a good answer. It's like <laughs> all fields. He runs well. He plays defense. He takes good. I mean, he's, he doesn't walk a ton, but he takes good at bats for the most part. Yeah, there has not been, and and he's only on my mind because he, you know, made a little spectacle of himself there in Philadelphia. But he he hasn't had any Jeff Francois swings. <laughs> no, he's like yeah, yeah. You can beat him with soft stuff away, but you can beat everybody with good soft stuff away. Uh, and he doesn't, you know, he'll foul pitches off, he'll take close pitches, he'll work counts, he's comfortable hitting with two strikes. He is, uh, he is a, one of the more fun Mets to watch in recent vintages. But the most fun, Chris McShane, <laughs> is Wilmer Flores. Of course. We are in the summer of Flores, it is still in full swing. Since the trade deadline, 319, 356, 551. With only a 333 Babbitt, which is probably not his true talent level, but it's not egregiously high. 
he is uh he is raking. I mean, they've done a good job. Um, he's not seeing a ton of... I already have somebody tweet at me. like, oh, yeah, I think he's going to go into a deep slump. And look, he's not a true talent level 900 OPS guy. But they're doing a good job protecting him. by He's seeing mostly lefties. More righties now, but I think that's less of an issue when Duda comes back. And for his career, it's an, almost a 900 OPS against left-handed pitching. And he can play, quote-unquote, up the middle. So that's a guy that's going to play for a long time. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I forget who it was. I forget if it was somebody on Twitter or somebody in the Amazing Avenue comments. So apologies to whoever I'm citing here that I don't remember, but somebody brought up the idea of him being a good guy to have around as a, uh, you know, maybe a defensively challenged Zobris type. I mean, the whole, know, point, of, the the, the whole point of being the Zobris type is you can play multiple positions well. <laughs> But yeah, 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 the guy you can stick at multiple positions. You know, obviously the outfield is not one of them. Um, but you know, a guy who can go there and not embarrass himself too much. He at least he seems to have gotten past that point. He he's not embarrassing himself on defense, even in the games he's playing at shortstop at this point. So that. That's nice. That is it is better than the alternative, which we saw plenty of early in the season. Yeah. Oh, April, I, I felt bad for him. I think I felt worse for him in April than I did the night that he cried. <laughs> so I talk about it a lot on the podcast, and I'll tweet about it um, when I see it happen. But I'm like, all right, let's actually dive into it. Like, we all know Wilmer Flores is really good at pulling dick high fastballs inside. We watch the games. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to actually, let's dive into the heat maps. I don't know why I haven't done that previous. So I looked it up, went to brooksbaseball.com. So in your, what I would consider the, the prime dick high zone, the bottom inside, is it, whatever it is, not really quadrant. If you divide the strike zone into nine divisions, it would be the inside and low one. If you're a right-handed batter. Yeah. He is hitting 462 with an 1192 slugging percentage. Not OPS, slugging percentage. He has put 25 balls into play in that zone. Five of them are home runs. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. In the sort of the other, in the other dick high-ish inside zones. He's slugging 542 and 615 as well. On middle-middle pitches, he's only slugging 523. So for comparison's sake, I decided to look at like a good right-handed hitter. Not a great one, a good one, to see what they slug on on middle-middle fastball. So I picked Juan Uribe. 739. So you're better off throwing Wilmer Flores a fastball down the middle (laughs) than you are some dick high inside garbage. So why do keep? I don't. I, somebody asked me why teams keep pitching him there, and like, you know, look, your teams, are, pitchers are going to make mistakes. I'm sure they all have the spray charts. They have the heat maps. They, you want to work him away, up and away, you know, up in the zone in general. But you know, you're more likely to get a high, a low strike call than a high strike call nowadays. And there's only so many pitchers that can elevate a fastball and beat a guy. So that's not something they usually. That's not a club that's in every everyone's bag to begin with. 
So I think he's still going to see. How is he going to see? Is he going to continue to a slug 11.92 on dick high fastballs? I don't know. But and his swing sure seems like it's geared for it. Yeah. It, like I mean, those two it, home runs he hit. The first one was a little further out and still managed to pull it. But that was more. That was a weird one. That was like a line driver. The second one he hit was a bomb. And it was a hanging slider inside and low. He's going to kill that pitch. He's been doing it all year. He did it a lot last year, too. Like, it's kind of amazing in its own way that he's that good at hitting that pitch. Like, I'll post his heat map. Like he, he, he has some holes in his swing when you look at it. There's not a lot of red other than, you know, the dick high garbage zone. But he's making it work. And I, I will say, granted, a lot of the side views I'm seeing and some of the replays I'm seeing are him, you know, crushing balls, home runs, doubles, and stuff. But the weight transfer does look a little better than it has been previously. He's not doesn't seem to be out on his front foot as much. I mean, it's, it's hard to hit a ball 400-plus feet out on your front foot. So there might be a sample size problem here or a selection bias. But he's looked a little... I mean, overall, I think he's looked better at the plate, even excluding the fact that he's just yanking home run after home run lately. He's turning himself into... maybe Even if it's only a second division starter, you know, that was always sort of the likely outcome here, I think, anyway, with him as a prospect. But it's pretty nice. I'm enjoying my, my, my main man, Wilmer Flores. So, Chris, I said some. You weren't on the show last week. It's your first show in a while, actually. It is. But so you may not have heard me go on a bit of a rant, as I am <laughs> wont to do, suggesting that the Mets should not skip Matt Harvey's start for Logan Barrett. And in principle, I still stand by that. You should put your best pitchers out there every night. You know, your 25 best guys have to go every night. Your best eight fishing players, and your best five pitchers, your best bullpen arms. This is a playoff race. I may have been a little bit unfair to Logan Verrett during my commentary on the subject, though. Um, take, you know, taking even Coors Field to five. Coors Field aside, I, uh, I think I'm still, to a certain extent, viewing him through the lens of what I saw as a prospect. With the improved changeup, he looks more like a like he could be a back end major league starter. Now this is, I watched the condensed game, so whatever, and it looks like a good slider start for for him, which is going to be important. He's going to need that slider to be a swing and miss pitch. But you know, I, and I do think it's probably more Colin McHugh against the Rockies than Matt Harvey against the Diamondbacks in terms of like relative coming out party. Right. But. You know, he's got a three-pitch mix now. And yeah, I know he, th- he still throws a, a curve a little bit, too, but it's ma- mainly fastball slider change. You know, low 90s fastball, which is a, a tick or two up from when I saw him as a prospect, which isn't unusual, which isn't common, but isn't unusual. Still got a good slider, and the changeup, you know, he would show you a good sort of, even flash, sort of an average, like, empty hand change with good sink. He's got a little screwball action on it now, and he showed it as a reliever, too, when he was first up earlier in the season. 
you know, that's a guy that if he's commanding those pitches well, and he can, can pitch in the back end of a rotation. I think it really changes for me is on recent shows I've alluded to the pitching depth issues in 2016. I'm a little more confident now that he could be a cromulent six starter next year if they need to plug a hole if a guy gets injured or something catastrophic happens. I think he can plug into a major league rotation and be an asset. That would not be a bad thing to have. No, it's and they it's the kind of thing they need, even if he's like a four or five. Just having another one of those to back up, you know, even if they use him as a swing man to start or or whatever. Because um, unlike someone like Montero, I think he can be effective in a, like a two inning bullpen role because I think that he can just go fastball slider, you know, keep throw the change to keep lefties honest, get a little more velocity. He was more ninety two, ninety three out of the bullpen. Um, and that's a you know a guy you can sort of move back and forth as needed. I actually <laughs> I got props on Twitter after he pitched well because I was uh, one of his biggest supporters and always liked him, which I think is true relatively speaking. Like I did my little spiel, I thought he should have been protected in the Rule Five draft over Akil Morris. Um, right. I did not think he would suddenly be a you know league average major league starter. Like I think I referred to him as a four point five run average per nine guy last week. Even if he's more of like a... He's probably a half run better than that. That's about a league average starter in City Field nowadays. I think he could do that. And that's uh, that's a nice thing to have. And I kind of wish... Uh, he'd been on the mound for the whole quick pitch thing. Because he's a bulldog. He would have like walked at the dugout and there would have been a brawl. <laughs> now, Robles, like... I guess, we, I guess we're talking about this now. I hadn't planned on it. Because Robles is a pretty easygoing guy. In sort of my observations of him. Like, he's very... He doesn't get rattled. Doesn't show a ton of emotion on the mound. Pretty quiet. But, I mean, he looks like a guy that could kill you with his bare hands. He is a... He's built. Yeah, he's he's a big dude. He and is. It ma- it he's makes not, him look he's not tall, is the thing. But he's, uh... He's very square. He's a square human being. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that makes him look a little older than he is. Even, yeah. he, he, I don't know. He's got he, he, a little more of an, an old man look too. He does. I think it's the hair too. Yeah. I don't know how we got on this. Yeah. Other than I like Logan Barrett. I've always liked Logan Barrett. Apparently. Well, there you go. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not calling him the. Justin Turner, the new Justin Turner of pitching. <laughs> Why would you do that to someone, Chris? Well, no, just getting back to your point of the the principle of it at the time. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. So I've been thinking recently about things that I, things that I was wrong about, things that I had very strong feelings about maybe a couple of years ago that, as they turned out, were not correct. So at the time, you know, I did Justin Turner non tender. Didn't seem like a big deal to me. See, if that's anything. funny because I spent an entire podcast previous to that arguing he should have been the starting shortstop <laughs> the following year, and then they not tendered him. Yes, uh, but you know, at the time I was not losing any sleep over that. Uh, I don't think it would have been reasonable for anybody to think he would end up doing what he's done as a hitter since then. But by, by the same token, then the Mets should have kept Marco Scudero. Right, it's that kind of thing. Like, I talked about this on the 
Effectively Wild podcast earlier in the week that I was on. Uh, I'm talking about Jacob deGrom. It's sort of like, these things happen. You can't always predict them, and it's not a good long-term strategy to bet on it happening for multiple dudes uh, in your system or in your organization, but it happens. There's what? At any given time, 1,200 dudes on 40-man rosters in baseball? There's a handful of them that are going to turn into something crazy you didn't expect. If you're talking about, you know, 99, you know, 99th percentile outcomes, that's a dozen dudes are hitting their 99th percentile outcome. DeGrom was one of them. You know, Turner might have been another one. I don't think Logan Barrett will be the third here, because you don't bet on that. And you're still going to do it. You can only go with the information you have at the time. Now, in a lot of cases, it's going to be incomplete. You know, my information on DeGrom was incomplete. Your information on Turner was probably incomplete. He was starting to make swing changes even late in that season. But it looks to all the world like just a hot month. Because he had a pretty good September that year. Yeah. And, I mean, with Verrett, if he if he's a decent or good relief pitcher... It, as a major leaguer, that's that's perfectly fine. That's right. And if he's a back end starter, that's like a, I don't know, 80th percentile outcome. Yeah. And if it's a 99th percentile outcome, he's another Jacob DeGroff. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, your point of him as the sixth starter type for next year, you know, if he's making you know 15 starts for this team next year, covering for a couple injuries here and there, one maybe medium term, one's just a DL trip, that's fine. I'm feeling better about that now. Yeah, well, and, and he's there. I mean, you figure, obviously G's going to get non-tendered. Um, you know, Cologne's presumably gone. Uh, so, you go into the year with Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, Nice, and uh, and then he's there beyond that, and eventually you get Wheeler back. And, you know, the odds of any five pitchers being healthy at the same time are always kind of low. So e- even if Wheeler comes back and Nice gets bumped or traded, uh, there's still going to be a need at some point. You always need pitching. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, how how soon does Gazelman, you know, uh, show yeah, that he had he, forearm he, stiffness he, this week? That always scares the crap out of you. But I mean, he'd probably be a, a probably a September call up next year. I would say, maybe late summer. That'd be my uh, guess. Now, Verrett's positioned himself to be the next guy, the first guy up next year as a starter. He might make the team out of out of spring as a as a pen arm. Now he can also go call him the queue. At least like in the short term. Right. Uh, <laughs> again. You well, make short, you make decisions with the make decisions with the available information you have about players, Colin McHugh being another good example of that. <laughs> yeah. And he's sort of come back to what you might think he would be. Well, I mean, he's still well, st- okay. It's essentially a league average starter. If you look at it, it's in, it's in, you know, he's in the AL, he's in a tough pitcher's park. 
Um, right. Yeah, if you follow you know, me he on was Twitter, not, you know, he was what I thought he was going to be was like a fifth starter. This is better than that still. Okay. Yeah, no, I no, would that, say. That's fair. If you follow this me on Twitter, you'll know more, that I... This is probably more reasonable. He wasn't going to be a... He was probably a little lucky on balls in play last year. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I, the all I'm trying to say is that I, uh, I'm still not used to the Astros being an American League team. It's also fair. It's that's it's not a pitcher friendly park. No. And they are in the American League, whether or not we remember that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean he's uh, you know, he's got around a four ERA, which is still above average, uh, in the AL on that park. So a little bit above average starter. Which is still a very good outcome for him. I mean, you know, last year he was, at least by the rate stats, an elite starting pitcher. You know, at least a number two. Which also none of us predicted. Just the beauty of baseball. If Logan Verrett does make another spot start, which he probably will, uh, it's going to be for Noah Syndergaard, who has been a little shaky lately, Chris. He has. Just a little. Now he's still missing bats. If you look at his season line, it still looks fine. Above average starter for a guy just breaking into the majors. Really good outcome. But over the last month, he has an 855 OPS against. Yeah, the hits he has given up seem to be big ones. That that seems to be the thing. He's not getting, you know, peppered with a slew of singles. No, it's eight home runs and 29 inning pitches. Uh, right, yeah, that that's... That's the issue, and I mean, I think we gave some context to what the Mets have been doing, at least especially over the last few days, in terms of the the weather, the ballparks they were playing in in the first place, uh, you know, sort of aiding that. You know, Syndergaard gave up some home runs in Citizens Bank Park on a very warm and humid night, and and at Camden Yards, and you know, that's not to write off that part of things completely but that probably inflates the home run issue a little bit lately well I mean the numbers are still uh, the per- I just think you can't even say peripherals because home runs count as peripherals the strikeout to walk numbers are still good you know in those yeah. 29 innings he struck out 35 only walked 8 the stuff is still there it's just when he makes mistakes they're getting hit hard the command's getting a little shaky again which was one of his issues in Vegas now, how much of that is sequencing? You know, is a pitch calling's been a little weird, I thought. Especially some pitch calls last night, uh, early in the game, basically in that big inning, and there was a, a 2-0 curveball to Howard and a 1-0 changeup to Galvis. Um, I don't love that. Um, yeah, the fastball command wasn't great, but... He's not. He doesn't have enough command of his secondaries yet, where he can really pitch backwards that much or throw them that much in hitters counts. Because all he does is work himself into worse hitters counts, and then really has to come in with the fastball. Um, you know, is there something to Kevin Ploiecki not catching him? Probably not, but who knows? Um, I wonder if it does make their decision a little easier to start John Neese in game three of a theoretical playoff series and move Syndergaard to the pen, though. Hmm. 
I, I still need to see more. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just. I mean, it is, like, it is. He is in uncharted territory for him as a starter in terms of innings pitched. I mean, this stuff does happen, and we're so used to young pitchers just coming up and dominating at this point that there's there can be growing pains in that first professional season. They're not all Matt Harvey. They're not all Jacob Degrom. Um, and, it, and it looks like maybe he could use a blow. Now the Mets should theoretically have more information on this than me and know if he's fatigued. But they said the same thing about Matt Harvey, who certainly hadn't looked at at the time they were skipping him. Yeah. I mean, the one thing with Syndergaard is that in that start in Philadelphia on Tuesday night, he threw as hard as he's thrown. Uh, yeah, but ty- tiring doesn't always take the form of velocity loss. It can be the mechanics can get a little loose, the locations can start to go. Okay. All right. I think that's more what's happening. And his fastball command's always been, you know, average-ish. It's never been... You know, he's not Jacob DeGrom. He's not Matt Harvey. Uh, you know, he's probably closer to Zach Wheeler in terms of his ability to command the fastball. I think he commands a little better than Wheeler's. But he also doesn't have Wheeler's extreme movement. So, these guys, you know, major league hitters, even Freddie Galvez can square 97 if they think it's coming and it's down the pipe. So, I think, you know, give him a, give him a start off and see what happens. Hopefully, uh, maybe it's something just had the same room service as Jacob DeGrom. And you can write that off and see where it goes from there. But I do think there's always sort of going to be a... And it, it's just not... There's more upside with Syndergaard, certainly. I don't know that in a you know in one game in October, hypothetically, he's... There's enough of a difference between him and Nice right now in their respective careers that there isn't a little bit more benefit to be had putting Syndergaard in as a one-two inning fireman along with Matts in the pen. Yeah, I mean that that because then, I... then you can go like you know four or five and dive with Nice if you need to. Right, that is the part where I definitely agree. You know, if I'm setting a, a postseason rotation right now, which we're not, to be we're, clear. right? We're... <laughs> <laughs> but but that third game, everybody's rested and all that. You know, I I am more confident in a start that Syndergaard makes than Nice. The Nice it can go bad really quickly, right? And he's done a very good job of avoiding that for most of this year, and especially over the last few months. Um, but if I were to be convinced of starting these, it, it would be what you brought up that, you know, if, if somebody's going to come out of the pen and throw two innings, I have a whole lot more confidence in Syndergaard doing that well than Nice yeah. uh, at, at this point. I mean, the idea, it, if you had it set up that way where it was, you know, Harvey DeGrom, Nice as your starters, and then Mats and Syndergaard coming out of the pen, Mats, Syndergaard... Clippard and Familia. Uh, I mean, it's not quite the Royals pen, but you're definitely shortening games. And now that Familia seems to have a better feel for that split change thing, Jesus, look out. Yeah, he... <laughs> I mean, that's just... I don't even know what to say about that pitch. That inning was ridiculous. It was, it was sort of back to... Cause he, I think even, and he's been better recently overall, but I think after that sort of little blip after the All-Star game, we haven't quite 
gotten back to the full-on, like, oh, Familia's got this, there's no... Because there's, like, a period from, like, the end of April, um, let's say the beginning of May to the beginning of July, where just, it was pretty much easy sailing every time they got to the ninth of the lead. You know, by Mets fan standards, at least. We were pretty confident in our closer. And I think after watching that uh, Phillies game Tuesday night, I'm leaning more in that direction again. Not quite all the way back yet, but that looked, and again, it's the Phillies, but that looked, that was not. I, the furthest ball was hit about 20 feet. Yeah. <laughs> He's throwing a 93-mile-an-hour splitter in addition to a 98-mile-an-hour two-seamer and a 90-mile-an-hour slider. And it seems like he's whatever his mechanical issues are, fatigue, whatever was going on, it sorted out. The pop, you know, the pop on it, everything's back. The, the verb, the zing, whatever word you want to use is there. And, you know, that's... Syndergaard, Matt's Clipper, Familia, that, that couldn't... You know, like I said, in a short series, when they get to the playoffs, I'm not worried about head-to-head records. You know, by that standard, the 88 Dodgers should have been dust. Because the Mets killed them all year. It just doesn't matter. Now, we're not putting together a hypothetical playoff. I mean, we're putting together a hypothetical playoff rotation. We're not putting together a playoff rotation because, Chris, the Nats are still the favorites in this division. Just ask them. (laughs) So I don't, you know, I don't, whatever. I don't have a a big issue with this. You know, whatever Jason Worth saying, there's still a team to beat. I think Denard Spann says something similar. Bryce Harper saying we just need to keep winning series while the Mets are sweeping people and they're winning two of three. But my issue is, it just feel like, and again, this might be my sort of skewed and vaguely provincial perspective as a fan of a New York sports team, but it seems like the DC media is just sort of recording what they're saying. And like, uh-huh, yep, yep. I don't want to call them cheerleaders, but, you know, the New York City media, if the Mets had been the presumptive favorites, you know, led the division as recently as the All-Star break, you know, played the way the Nats had in the second half, and were suddenly five and a half games back, and they were saying the same things, um, that would not... I mean, when Miguel Batista said it, you know, they had... They were about as far back as the Nats are now, and it was a heck of a lot season, heck of a lot more of the season left to play, and he basically got laughed at by the entire New York City media. Yeah, and in fairness too, you know, LOL Mets is a thing, uh, but I, I think if somebody on the Yankees right now said where the team to beat, they would get shit for it. Oh yeah, I. So yeah, I think that's pretty much dead on. Um, I mean, it's just it, again, it's a younger baseball town, so I don't know how much to read into it. It just, it just seems weird to me. Like that, I'd say I don't understand how that happens, but I don't understand how that happens because I'm a Mets fan, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody gets off the hook for for saying that if they're here. Yeah. And look, um, you know, they've adjusted their pitching staff. They got their three horses coming in in a couple weeks. They so got their starting eight. They're healthy. Adam Rubin is constantly reminding us about 2007 on Twitter, like we weren't all there for it. <laughs> it was only eight years ago we were all alive. 
a lot younger, a lot fewer gray hairs, and our liver were all, livers were all in better shape. Um, and yeah, is their true talent level still better than the Mets? I mean, it's, Mets are a very different team now than they were April 1st, but you still got to put it on the field, and the Nats haven't done it yet. So here we are, hypothetically putting together a playoff starting rotation. So we're not doing your emails this week. I mean, we are, just not in this podcast this week. But we will do some housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 135. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. 30,000 people can't be wrong. (laughs) Literally, I don't know how that happened. That is all Steve. It is all Steve Schreiber and his great Facebook content. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Chris McShane. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris McShane. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails that we're not reading. So this is your IFK Gothenburg update, which is what we will be doing. Um, IFK Gothenburg had a bit of a scare this past weekend against the bottom of the table. But a 90-second-minute goal got them a 1-0 win, and they remain top of the table. Only eight games left to play. It's going to be a sprint to the finish. They're still only ahead on goal difference, because Elfsburg won as well. But I think they still have one game left with Elfsburg and one game left with AIK, who is their uh, their rivals from Stockholm, and only two points back. So it's going to be a fun race to the Elsvenskan League title. I already referenced it, but I'll plug it again. I appeared on Effectively Wild episode 719 this past Tuesday morning, talking with Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller about Jacob deGrom. I had a blast. I've, I've always loved the Effectively Wild podcast. Though I did successfully predict to Sam when he uh, tried to set it up Monday morning with me that, well, you know deGrom's pitching tonight. He's going to get lit up now, which he did. You can always count on that happening. They also record at midnight because Sam's on the West Coast, and I may have been a little rambly. (laughs) Part of that, I did enjoy it. Uh, Tomorrow I'll be on From the Fans again on CBS Sports Radio, talking a little bit about the Mets Philly series. Keep an eye out for that as well. And, of course, Pitch Talks is now a mere 23 weeks. We're round down. A mere three weeks away. So get your tickets. I will actually be emailing my co-hosts to put together an agenda. I am going to be on the ball for this. So come out to uh, Catch Brewery in Astoria and have a few beers with us. And that is about it, Chris. All right. That was good. Yeah, because I did the emails. We have seven emails. be another 45 minutes. It's already dark out. I need to unload. I have no clothes. I don't know where any of my clothes are. I wore teal pants to work on 
Monday. I didn't have any pants at my parents' house. I didn't have any pants in the new apartment. I thought I saw... I did have pants in the new apartment. I know clean pants in the new apartment. I thought I saw pants hanging in the old apartment, and I went there, it was just bright blue. I don't think it's technically teal. Bright blue pants. Nice. Bright, bright blue chinos. I remember where I got them. I think Urban Outfitters. That would make the most sense. I'm just like, well, we're in the... I mean, I've worn them to work before. Usually on laundry day. It's kind of like a running joke in my department. And I'm like, eh, we're wearing these pants. That is where my life is right now. And they're coming to install the internet tomorrow, which will allow me to do another podcast this weekend for episode 136. We're not doing the part two thing anymore of Amazing Avenue Audio.